Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Galatians 5, starting with verse 16, and the title is The Bible, Your Brain, and Behavior. And basically, we're going through the portion of Galatians, because that's what we do on Sundays. We go through the entire Bible, not just our favorite parts. And in doing so, Galatians speaks about works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Now, if you're a believer, you have a new nature. God has sealed you with his Holy Spirit. A part of God, amazingly enough, resides in you. Um, he helps to guide you and uh, deter you when you're on a, a, you know, a crash course with something that's going to hurt you. But we also, in addition to exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, we also, at times, exhibit a work of the flesh, because we're not perfect. Nobody in this room is perfect. There's no perfect Christian. The only perfect person that ever walked the face of the earth was Jesus Christ. So a work of the flesh is more of a, a thing that we do, and maybe we grieve the Spirit or quench the Spirit trying to tell us something, but we want to go our own way anyway. And a work of the flesh is often tied to our, our body, our soma. Um, you know, we're earthbound, we're tethered to this earth, but when we die, we slough off the skin and all that stuff, and we go up to be with the Lord, and then eventually he gives us a new body. It's pretty fantastic. You can see a lot of this is 1 Corinthians 15. But until then, we will have these struggles. On any given day, we'll struggle with the flesh. Uh, and then we will move forward in the walk of the Spirit, and we'll glorify God, and, and people will see that in us, and it's an incredible thing. These, we're actually only going through a few verses, and in these few verses, we're going to see six works of the flesh. However, this work of the flesh, the reason why I'm focusing on such a small amount of Scripture this morning is because because it really coincides with what's going on in our society. These six works of the flesh are also um, tie into addictive behaviors. And we're going to look at that. And we're going to see how does that square with the Bible. But at the end, I'm going to give you a message of hope, true hope. Not only through uh, neuroscience, but also through what the Scripture says. So there's going to be two incredible endings to those that may be struggling with these types of things. Verse 16, the Apostle Paul said, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we're walking in the Spirit, right, we're walking north, so to speak, we can't fulfill the lust of the flesh at the same time. Like I said last Sunday, you can't walk north and south at the same time. You can only do one thing or the other. And our walk is a dynamic walk, it's not static. We're either in one place or we're in another place. He says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit is against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery. That's where I'm going to stop this morning. It's a long list. But this is where we're going to be. This is not necessarily an exhaustive list. Uh, but it says the works of the flesh are manifest. They're apparent. They're obvious. You know, even as Christians, we can't kid ourselves. If we're not walking in the spirit, we're walking in the flesh. We know we're doing something wrong. They're manifest. 
This is uh, sinful behaviors that really gratify the flesh at the expense of the spirit. Now, many of these things today are made excuses for, accepted in society. It doesn't prove that the Bible's archaic, but it proves that we as a society have gone very far from God. Second point is, how do we react to this message? Well, we'll either, it'll determine whether we have a humanist worldview or a biblical worldview. It'll determine whether we're in the spirit right now or not. Many ministries have had pressure to conform, and they're just concerned about amassing great followings. The funny thing about Jesus was he often walked away from the crowds to deal with people one-on-one. He had very close relationships with people. Um, But when you come into a church, do you really want to hear what you want to hear in this plastic society, or do you want to hear something refreshing, even if it's not according to what we would like to do or the direction we're going in? Three, this is important. There's a huge difference between a lifestyle of sin and being proud of it Actually, that was me before salvation. I wasn't a spiritual person. I didn't consider pleasing God. But if we're believers, there's a difference between a lifestyle of sin and two, struggling with sin, being bothered by it, and then repent and ask for forgiveness. Because God forgives. He's a forgiving God. We are all sinners, starting with me. So you come into this church, you have an issue, you might be struggling with one or more of these things, you're not going to be judged. Because sin is sin. My sin is no more pretty than your sin. And the last point before we jump in is sin comes in two forms. Number one, committing the actual act, and two, fantasizing about it. Now, fantasy usually is as a sexual connotation, but some people come in and they're ragers. They're just angry people. And they fantasize about punching somebody in the face. I mean, let's just be honest. Some of you are shaking your heads. I'm concerned. <laughs> and the only reason they don't do it is because they don't want to get arrested. But they fantasize, they ruminate about hurting somebody because that's their particular sin. So it kind of, you know, it, it, it casts a broad net. We're all predisposed to something or the other. So the question is, how are we filled with the Spirit? How do we walk as children of God and children of the light? Well, Paul does a good job in telling us this is what we shouldn't do, and these are the things that we should do, Okay. So the first two have to do with sex outside of the boundaries of marriage, which God established. The first one he speaks about is adultery. It's an easy one. Uh, It's understood that if two people are in a sexual relationship and one is married but not to the person they're in that current relationship with, it's adultery. Uh, Romance novels and movies glorify this, but it's been wrong and it'll always be wrong. And if you are the child of a situation where one of your parents cheated on the other, that's a term we use uh, in in the world, you were devastated, especially if it brought divorce. So adultery is not not fashionable, it's not cool, it's destructive. Second one is fornication, which the root word is pornea, where we get the word pornography, and that's any sex outside of marriage. Well, I guess the naysayers will look at this and say, wow, the Bible's pretty archaic. I have an article for you. Uh, It's several years ago. And Ed Vitigliano, Bonded in the Brain, New Science Confirms Biblical View of Sex, he refers to these two OBGYNs who did a lot of research, and they came to some conclusion, especially about sex of teenagers in a hypersexualized culture. Now, none of these people are claiming Christianity. But what they are doing is they're making some deductions, and they're saying, wow, maybe the the biblical view about sex is, is something to this, and we should look into it. 
Um, it says basically, that, and I'm just going to skim through it because it's, some of these articles are pretty lengthy. It says, the truth is on the subject of sex, science is catching up to the Bible. And this is laid out in this book, Hooked, if you want to get it. Uh, it's in your bulletin. You can scan it and go on the internet and order it. Hooked, New Science on How Casual Sex is Affecting Our Children, written by two OBGYNs who have an extensive um, accolades and stuff. So it basically tells us that sexual, human sexual behavior molds the brain. It changes the, changes the pathways in the brain. Um, we're going to use terms today, this morning, patterns, addiction, habit, and they have interlapping uh, meanings. And what happens is with sexual activity, the brain starts to actually change chemically, biochemically, and also physically. I'm going to, I'm going to show you something in a few minutes. The article goes on and says that's why a couple that's not married and they're having casual sex, when they break up, they find another mate and they start having casual sex because there's already a pattern developed in the brain. And he talks about the activity of these three chemicals. Three chemicals uh, is powerfully related to human sexuality. Dopamine, oxytocin, and vasopressin. Dopamine is a chemical that produces good feelings in the brain. It's the reward signal. It brings excitement, euphoria, uh, a sense of well-being. Okay? He says that sex is one of the strongest generators of the dopamine reward. Now this is interesting because he says at the bottom they can get hooked on it. There's a very close tie between the feelings of, of the brain, okay, during sexual activity and drug use, okay, there's similar dopamine receptors. I'm going to come back to that. He said that, it's interesting, he said especially at the age of under 16, if teenagers are sexually active, uh, it becomes just a compulsive behavior. There's really no love in it, it's just, it's compulsive. It's this habit. And I was talking to Pastor Vinny, our youth pastor, who taught the public schools for over 40 years. Here, it's so funny, for a moment I forgot who he was. And I'm saying, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm telling him about the article, and the kids can't even concentrate on schoolwork. All they think about is sex. When they're doing this, he goes, he goes, yeah, I see it all the time in the public school. The concentration is gone. Their drive for the future is gone. Their grades, it starts to plummet. This is now, and now we have a, a culture not only with uh, sexualizing kids, but a drug culture. And our kids are, boy, they're really at risk. You've got to pray for kids going to school. It's a rough thing. He said the other chemical uh, he goes on is oxytocin, which a woman uh, produces during labor, childbirth, and breastfeeding. And they call it the cuddle chemical because what happens is it bonds the woman to her new child that's going to be born. It also increases a, a woman's romantic desire for touch from her mate. I purposely put the air conditioning on higher in this section, you know, just, so we'll, let's just continue, you know. I think I'm doing a good job, I really do, but the male counterpart is vasopressin, which kind of, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking it's a, it's a counterbalance to testosterone. Testosterone gives a man his drive, and then vasopressin during this time, and, you know, mating and all that kind of stuff, uh, it kind of chills him a little bit so that he can protect not only his family, but be receptive to the new baby that's going to be born. This is fascinating. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. He speaks about bonding with the wrong person, painful breakup cycles, degradation of bonding ability, and really taking the, what God has designed for marriage out of the people. You know, At the end, he says that no doubt this is part of the meaning behind God's statement in Genesis regarding marriage that the man and the woman shall become one flesh. 
This bonding power of sex, insisted these two doctors, is real and almost like the adhesive effects of glue. That's amazing. So the Bible speaks about a husband and a wife joining together and to be cleaving unto each other, to be glued to each other. This is, it's not the only way, but this is one of the ways it happens. And now that science, we're starting to see the chemicals in the body and what's released when, what scientists are coming up with and these doctors is that the Bible was always right about this stuff. The culture's always been wrong, and that's the way it's always been. I don't care what culture it is. So continuing on, if I could digress for a moment, there is a term called neuroplasticity, and everybody's throwing it around, counselors, doctors, self-help people. And basically, neuroplasticity is the way the brain actually changes and how we can change the brain. That's amazing in itself. The brain is supposed to work for us. A lot of times, we work for the whims of the brain. It's kind of weird because it's this thing in our heads. It's not our spirit. It's really not our mind, and that depends on whether you fall under monism or dualism, which I don't want to get into. But we need to make the brain work for ourselves. Neuroplasticity says that we can change not only it neurochemically, but also physically. So if we could put up the first slide, the brain and you. <laughs> this, no, 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 the other one, sorry. So this is pretty cool. Um, you see the, the and, and there's two main systems. There's the receptor system, which says to the brain, well, it's hot outside. Well, I feel pressure. Well, I feel pain. So there's these receptor nerves and, and different things that are in the body that send the signal to the brain, okay? Um, there's smell, taste, vision, balance, hearing. Then there's visceral sensory receptors that tell the brain what's going on inside. My liver hurts, I'm hungry, my heart's beating fast. And then you have the somatic sensory receptors, touch, pain, pressure. And what they do is they feed information through the peripheral nervous system to the central nervous system. The brain is the main supercomputer, and what that does is it decides what to do from there. Then down here, it goes to the motor division. Now the brain is, is the neurons, or the other set are exiting, and they're telling the body what to do. Uh, the skeletal muscle, run away, you know, I, I, I'm downstairs, and let's say it's uh, the electric stove, and I'm talking to somebody, and I rest my hand on the electric stove. The receptors in my hand say, somebody left the burner on. <laughs> and this happens in a split second. It sends it to my brain. And before I can even think about it, my bicep contracts and I pull my hand away from the hot stove to save my hand from being burned. This reflexes. So you see the uh, skeletal muscle contractions. Don't forget about the autonomic nervous system. While you're sleeping, a whole bunch of stuff happens. You've got your REM sleep. You've got uh, growth hormone being released. You have your heart is still beating, thank God. Your lungs are still breathing. And you're not telling your body what to do. It, it's kind of this thing that's inside of us that just does stuff. It's pretty impressive. So you see the effects on the skeletal muscle and the smooth muscle, cardiac, etc. So let's move to the second slide. We're going to move from anatomy and physiology this morning to um, biochemistry and neuroscience. So I hope you've had your coffee. By the way, coffee does elicit a little bit of a dopamine response. So hopefully you're feeling good about what you're seeing. Uh, so in the brain is roughly 100 billion of these nerve cells called neurons. And there's about a trillion or several trillion synapses. It's where they all start to connect. So some basic you know, understanding nomenclature is the, 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 the cell body and the, uh, the axon. Now this is interesting. This is the myelin sheath. 
that when you have demyelination, demyelination, you get what's known as multiple sclerosis. There's short circuits. The signal doesn't go properly. It's almost like if you have house wiring and you strip the insulation off and they started to touch. So this is pretty fascinating. The impulse goes from the cell body down the axon to the, ax or, yeah, to the axon tips. Uh, there's the synaptic bulbs over here, and then the synapses. There's the synaptic cleft, which is that little gap. They actually don't touch each other. There's a really tiny space, and the, there's a little, little machinery inside the synaptic bulbs that, leave, that release neurotransmitters. And depending on the neurotransmitter, depending on what type of signal is going to the next cell body. Pretty fascinating. Dendrites, they look like tree branches. What does this have to do with what we're talking about this morning? Well, neurons can grow and, and shrink. Uh, they can grow really big. Some neurons are actually a few feet in diameter. They go from the brain down the spinal cord and they connect to muscles and receptors and different things like that. Some of them are within a fraction of an inch. Um, again, you have 100 billion of them. Some of us have more, some of us have less. Or maybe should I say some of us use more and some of us use less. But let's look at neuroplasticity. How do, how do things change? The first way is chemical. And I'm just going to do this for the sake of oversimplification in time. So in between, at the end of those synaptic bulbs and in the synaptic cleft are these neurotransmitters that are released. And they make the connection. So dopamine is responsible for pleasure that we spoke about. Um, very interesting, people who are addicted to cocaine, uh, the cocaine uh, binds to the, to the dopamine and it's not taken out of the system, so they experience this euphoria for a long time. So people get an addict, addicted sensation to it, that rush, but it's very destructive to the body. We start messing around with chemicals, we can cause real problems. Dopamine is also responsible for smooth pursuit, you know, muscle movement and, and smoothness. Uh, people with Parkinson's have issues with dopamine and they get L-DOPA treatments and other things like that. Another neurotransmitter is serotonin, which is responsible for, you know, just serenity, really. Uh, SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, Prozac and others. What they try to do is keep the serotonin in that synaptic cleft for a while so the person can experience that calmness, but, but every medication has side effects. Uh, if you don't have enough serotonin or you have a dysfunction, you can get anxiety or you can get depression. It throws off your serenity balance. You can go one way or the other. Norepinephrine get, brings you up. GABA, gamma aminobutyric acids, another one kind of brings you down. And these, they work against each other. GABA, there's a synthetic form you can take if you have anxiety, and when you take it, it starts to calm your thoughts, and all that activity starts to slow down because that's what's being put into the system. Now... Let me give you an example of how you can change this. Me personally, and I was always a very self-motivated, very driven person. I bought my first house in my 20s, sold it, I fixed it up, sold it, bought another house. Uh, I worked triple shifts at times, just working, working, working. I got to the point where I pushed my body and my mind so far against the wall that they just quit on me. I developed severe panic and anxiety attacks. There was a serotonin balance issue, but because of the stress I put on myself, I put myself in that position and thankfully God delivered me and healed me from that. It was brutal. Now let's look at the, at the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, studies are coming out and I've had some in my office that say that people who are grateful and thankful for what they have, appreciative, it's a general attitude that they have more calm and peace in their life. See, your behavior, your attitude which you can control can change what goes on inside the brain. Now, let's look at this physically, neuroplasticity in the second way. 
This I find kind of creepy and fascinating at the same time. So let's say you learn a new habit. Uh, you learn a new behavior. You learn to play the clarinet. What happens is these axon trees start to expand. And one study I read says it's, it's almost like, and it starts to dig into neural tissue looking for connections because you're learning something and your brain wants to get on the program with you. And the way it was described was like a tree or a plant that's starting to grow and establish itself and its roots are digging into the soil and expanding. It's kind of creepy, but really cool at the same time. So when you start doing new things, your dendritic trees, excuse me, axonic trees, the, the dendrites are on this end, it only goes in one direction, they start to search for new connections to make to please you. It's fascinating, isn't it? Now, let's understand this. Through behaviors, we can change the structure of our brains. We can change the wiring. The brain is... Val this is where it gets important, where we talked about the, Bi we're talking about the Bible. The brain is values neutral when it comes to new, new behaviors and new habits, new addictions. Addictions can be good and addictions can be bad. If you regularly get up at 6 in the morning and read your Bible and pray, it's an addiction. It's a habit. Terms are used overlapping. The brain will accommodate you to remind you to get up and also to clear your mind to be able to receive that information. But the brain is values neutral. You can teach it anything, good things and bad things, and it's just going to try to please you. That's what it's there for. It's a very dynamic organ. It's the spirit and the mind that makes the value assessment. This is where scripture comes in. They, in turn, can change the brain. See, I look at the brain, and I've nicknamed the brain the so what's new organ. The brain is always asking you, what can we learn that's new? If you want to stay with old habits and stuff, it'll just reinforce those connections. The cool thing is when you break habits, those axonal trees over here, they start to pull away and they shrink because they're, they're pleasing you. You don't like that habit anymore, they'll do that. And then you can look back 10 years and say, you know, I used to do that all the time. I don't do it all the time because you, your brain accommodated you. It's amazing. The, the, uh, uh, people can do, and this is where I want to empower, empower you, you can do whatever you want in life. Genesis 11, God referring to mankind, his creation, and the things that they were doing. He says, God says, nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them because he gave us the equipment to do it. And I think sometimes through bad education, we hold ourselves in a prison. Through good education, we understand what God provided for us and what we can actually do. There was a, uh, you know, the, they say, what activity uses, if you look online or you look through uh, journals, what activity or what organ uses the most glucose? It's the brain. The brain uses the most glucose. It's always moving, even when you're sleeping. It's the only organ, well, sorry for the heart, that really doesn't rest. It's always doing something. It's always needing that glucose, okay? I actually had a really bad, uh, well, I still have them, uh, herniations on my neck and my back. And when I got the MRI, the prevailing wisdom was, you're going to be crippled. Stop going to the gym. I went to surgeons, fix whatever it is. And, and I, jumped, I embarked on this technique, which you retrain your brain to understand pain. And once, after doing this for a few months, I woke up one morning and I was like, I don't have any pain anymore. I went back to the gym, started lifting heavy, started training. Nothing changed. As a matter of fact, the, 
the pulposus tissue probably got a little bit more squishier in there and touching the nerves, but um, it's, it just reprogrammed the brain and how it senses pain. It's actually very fascinating. Okay, let's go back to human sexuality and then let's move to addictions, which are very similar. If you follow Hollywood relationships, they're always changing partners. One thing about Hollywood, too, is they're often bragging about how many psychiatrists and psychologists they have on speed dial. So if they have a crisis, really, it's, it's funny, but it's really not funny. They have a crisis or a bad breakup, and they can't get one. They'll get the, eventually, they'll find one that can help them. It's because they're coming unglued. They're gluing themselves to people, and then ungluing, and then gluing, and then ungluing. It has an effect on the brain. Uh, we can talk about, and let's just talk about it, because it's another epidemic is uh, teenage girls who are committing suicide over sexting. You know, it's, it's, it's a very sad thing. We read about it pretty regularly. Uh, again, it's that, that dysfunction that is, is outside of how God's protected us in his word. I could tell you my experience for 24 years as a road cop, domestic violence. In New Jersey, it is no tolerance. They'll take your firearms uh, card, they'll take your guns, they'll take a lot of your rights away if you commit a, an act of domestic There's no tolerance, and people are still doing it every day in every township in New Jersey. It's because we're not addressing the root problem. We're just saying, well, we're going to punish you if you do this. And I've seen the most nice, sweet people, little, little petite women, demure, and we go to the house, and stuff is flying, and the knives, I mean, literally, it's, it's mayhem. It's because the couple's becoming unglued. Well, he's cheating on me, or she's cheating on me. And this is the kind of stuff that happens, murder-suicides. This all has to do with what we're talking about. You know, God doesn't give his word to, to punish us. He gives us his word so we can understand and fit in parameters that are good for us. Um, you know, sex sells. You ever wonder why, uh, if you go in the wintertime to buy an evergreen tree, you know, there's, a, an, uh, there's a, an ad with a girl in a bikini with a Santa hat pointing to the tree. It's wintertime. What's that about? But it's all subconscious. To, to the guy, it says, you want this. To the girl, it says, you want to look like this. And in real life, they probably don't look like that anyway. Because after they find what they think is perfect, they airbrush. And, and let me tell you something. Getting into even pornography addictions, that is a, one of the quickest ways to destroy a marriage. I've met men who have come to me who are just broken. And uh, then when the wife finds out, well, guess what? Guess what's not going to be happening in the household? And that just makes the situation worse. I mean, this is serious stuff. Ted Bundy was a serial killer, and he targeted women. And I won't get, go into his, what he did, but uh, he was hooked on pornography. And his sick fantasies went past the, the, the normal pale and into this destructive pattern and behavior. And he lived them out on women, and then he took their lives because, because he didn't want to get caught. Okay? I mean, you look at any of these, these guys and these, these you know, it, it, it can turn into something that's illegal. It, it short-circuits the brain. It fries it. Sex no longer becomes about love. It becomes about gratification. Who can live under that, you know? Uh, this is important because it affects, it can affect all of us, you know? Just to say this last thing, if I could wrap up the subject on sexuality. Sexuality is like a raging fire. Sex inside of marriage is like a fire contained in a, in a wood-burning stove or a furnace. It'll have enough power to heat the whole house for years. Sex outside of marriage is like trying to take a fire in an uncontained fashion to heat your home. 
eventually it'll burn your whole house down. And I've had many people that have come to me that their houses are pretty much burned down to the ground. Okay, so it's, there you have it. Move on to the next subject. <laughs> so, the next two uh, works of the flesh are uncleanness and licentiousness. Uh, uncleanness, th there's similar veins in this. It's, it's impurity, it's a uh, person is just vulgar. Um, just, you ever see or witness or for ladies experience, you walk past a guy and they're just vulgar. They're strangers and they're just, they just look, it's just a horrible thing for a woman to experience. But um, it's, the mind always goes there in a place it shouldn't go. Uh, licentiousness, lasciviousness, again, vice. This is a person that they can't control their urges. And this can be sexual or it can be in, in others, other ways. Um, you see, you're seeing more and more in the news of these videos. And everybody's videotaping stuff. Criminal activity, uh, just fights in the street, teenagers, teenage girls. I mean, you, you, then you, if you put that side by side with a, the animal kingdom, at least there's some rules there. Human beings are acting today like animals, and they're glorifying it, putting it on YouTube. And they're getting in trouble for it. Some people are getting arrested over it. But basically, it's taking all the spirit, all the, the humanness out of the actions. We can act like animals if we want to. We can act no different and worse than the four-legged creatures that are walking around on the planet. But, you know, God has put a spirit in a man and a woman. You know, what do we do with that spirit? Take the spirit out of a man and a woman, and he or she becomes a, a savage beast. You know, I think the amazing thing is Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. He had the body of a man, but he had all of his, uh, his bodily urges under control, even his anger. He never lost control. You know what I'm saying? He was our, our perfect example of self-control, which is one of the fruit of the spirit by the way. Two more. Idolatry and sorcery, and that's where we're going to end for this morning, but idolatry is a weird thing because idolatry has religious connotations to it. People can be religious and be idolaters. They can take objects and, and honor them and pray to them and hold them and wear them and, and act in a certain way, rites and rituals, but have no relationship with God. It's almost like an OCD mentality. And again, it's a pattern, it's a habit that's developed. Um, you ever meet somebody that's super religion but doesn't under this, understand the concept of praying to God? But they're super religious, you know? They're so into their denomination and into their spiritual leader and into their books, but they, there's no connection between them and God. It's very unusual. Idolatry can also happen in, with anything that we put in front of God, that we worship. Um, Americans, we can worship our money, we could worship our time, we could worship our children. And then what's going to happen when they become adults? We shouldn't be spoiling them. I mean, we should be teaching them values. I think sometimes, too, uh, in Western society, we worship education. And that's why sometimes I feel like I've got to do this to get a hold of the intellectual person to reel them in and then hit them with the Word of God. Because we worship education! This is actually my high, or not high school, this is my college biology book when I went to Rutgers University. Some, oh, I won't say, 20-something years ago. <laughs> they would never use this book today, not in its current form. Why? Because science always changes. You know, to the, to the, and I'm, I'm trying not to really make fun here, but, but to the anti-God person, I, I've heard it. Well, I worship, you know, well, I believe in science, not the Bible. Okay, well, your science is always changing. 
they would never use books from 20-something years ago unless they made a lot of revisions because in biology and chemistry, we're always learning new things. Understand? Right? Uh, science just means knowledge. The only person who is omniscient or omniscience is God. And it's up to us, like children, to figure out his beautiful things that he's made and, his dis- and, and discover them. So, okay, the next two, uh, or the last one, is sorcery. This is interesting because sorcery, in the Greek, the word is pharmakia, where we get the word pharmacy. Sorcery, back in the day, was a combination of drugs, witchcraft, demonic activity, and music. And the music and the drugs took away the inhibitions to worship demonic entities. Now, I want to digress and put that on the side. Put the demonic activity, put the music on the side. We have a drug epidemic in our society, alcohol and drugs. And it's not something that we can gloss over, and it's something that we need to talk about. And I'll just let you know, I have some skin in the game. Last year, my younger brother, 10 years younger than me, uh, there were times I changed his diaper, I watched him grow up, he's a sweet kid. He got involved with the wrong crowd, got involved with drugs, went to prison for a while, and then overdosed, and he died. So I have skin in the game. We might not all agree about how to do it and what the roots are. I'm going to stick with the Bible because the science always comes back to the Bible. But what we can agree on is we want to save the next person from this happening too. Just like sex addiction, addiction, drug addiction affects neurochemicals. It affects um, axonal digging. It affects physical. It actually affects neuroplasticity, and we make it work against us. I'm going to read a few articles because, see, I don't have all the letters after my name, but some people do, and they're starting, and again, these, they're not self-avowed Christians. There's a, a neuroscientist, check this guy out, his name is um, Mark Lewis. He was addicted to drugs for 10 years, and he said he did pot, LSD, he did heroin, he did cocaine, he did anything he could get his hands on for, I think, 10 years or more. He was full-blown uh, arrested by the police, ruined relationships. In the, right around the age of 30, he quits cold turkey. And he goes back to school, becomes a professor, gets a degree in neuroscience, and is now a professor that teaches developmental psychology. Very well-respected man. Wrote a book, The Biology of Desire, Why Addiction is Not a Disease. It's not going to sit well with everybody, I understand that, but the ship is starting to turn because the disease model is just making things worse. All right? it's, it's not empowering, it's doing the opposite. Uh, it's taking the will, it's taking the self-ability, it's taking a lot of things away from the person who's addicted to drugs. And if we keep losing people like we are, then we have to change what we're doing. So I'll just read some excerpts from his book, uh, picked up in Salon.com, picked up in Vice, picked up in New York Post, Uh, and I'll just go through some of the things he says. He says, an important principle of the 12 steps is that addiction is chronic and likely congenital from birth. You can be sober indefinitely, but you will never be cured. You will always remain an addict, even if you never use again. He says, though, to have a disease instead of, say, a dangerous habit is to be powerless to do anything except apply the prescribed cure. He says, you always have and will always contain a bomb. The important question is how to avoid setting a match to it. He says, the disease theory and the science sometimes used to support it fails to take into account the plasticity of the human brain. 
Of course, the brain changes with addiction, he writes, but the way it changes has to do with learning and development, not disease. The changes wrought by addiction are not, however, permanent, although they are extremely dangerous. He goes on. He says there's another discrepancy. He goes, you have substance addiction on one hand and behavioral on the other. In other words, gambling, sex addiction, porn addiction, a number of eating disorders, internet gaming. The cool thing is when you do brain scans, and brain scans came out you know, a few decades ago and they're becoming more fine-tuned, you get the same neural activation patterns in behavioral addictions as you do in substance addictions. That should be enough to knock out the disease model. If addiction is a disease, then people who spend 12 hours a day playing video games are suffering the same way people who are addicted to heroin are. Continues. He said, learning gets entrenched through repetition and you're addicted, but there's nothing disease-like about it. People recover from all addictions, which means it's all about neuroplasticity. It's not that you go back to where you were because development never goes in reverse. Remember, the brain's dynamic. It's that you learn skills that help you overcome your impulses and you learn new cognitive habits. All learning involves changes in synapses, which means creation and strengthening of certain synapses and the weakening or disappearing of synapses that aren't being used. It's what we talked about. You know, what we try to do in this church is when we deal with people who, who want to be, who want to come in and want to change the channel, um, we try to give them things to do. What I'm praying about is doing a program where, and we have some really talented people in this church. Some of you speak fluent Russian, Spanish. Some of you, we have a p piano downstairs, play the piano, is to every day the person comes in, teach them something new. Start getting that neural activity going, change the brain chemicals, and the brain, the what's new brain is saying, all right, this is great, we're doing something new every day. See, I used to struggle with alcohol. There could be a vat of alcohol in front of me. It has, it, I don't care. It has no power over me because it's old news. I've had so many things that replaced it. Plus, the Bible says I'm a new creature in Christ. And Papa Ray over there is somewhat of a celebrity in our church. Hardcore uh, heroin and, and other things like that. Decades clean. I mean, there are a lot of you that are success stories. And I'll tell you, I'll put someone struggling with this, I'll put you in connection with people that can actually help you. So a few things we have to look at. This is what I would say based on what the scripture says, and I'm going to use the best part for last. I would look at this in five steps instead of 12. The 12-step program has been changed a lot to satisfy the courts and, and take the part about God and really soften it. So God's this ambiguous, nebulous, you know, little G creature somewhere that anybody can make in their own image, and that's not the God we serve. So if we look at this in five steps, the first step is to detoxify and separate. In other words, if you have a substance addiction, you've got to get that stuff out of your system because it will drive you. you know, it's almost like driving drunk. You can't do it because you're being clouded by this stuff that's inebriating you. So get the person clean. Get them away from the substance. If it's a gambling or a porn addiction, there needs to be accountability. Um, you, need to, you need people around you to help you, to strengthen you, and to help keep you from jumping back into this. Here's another thing I say to a lot of people. Change your friends. Listen, we live in the age of social media. Facebook friends, please. I have a thousand friends. No, you don't. You really don't. You're lucky if you've got a handful. Change your friends. Um, I see it. They'll bring you back into criminal activity. They'll bring you back into drugs. They'll bring you back to... And they'll do it with you. They're not your friends. Get away from them, okay? Find new friends. 
So number one, detoxify and separate. Two, education and counseling. This is to empower the struggling person to recover. Look for the roots of self-destruction. Why are they so self? Now check it out. Some people have PTSD and they use alcohol to slow everything down because they can't deal with the PTSD. And, and there are times that when the person's PTSD is, is treated, they don't go to the bottle anymore. See, that was the root cause. And they use substances to self-medicate. Okay, for others it's more difficult. Here's another example. Trauma not dealt with. A, a horrific trauma that happened to a person. And maybe they, they never talked to somebody, they never got help, and again, they're self-medicating. They don't want to think about it bubbling to the surface and actually having to face that trauma because they never have. Yeah, it's pretty heavy. Sometimes you deal with the trauma and treat it, the other things start to go away. You're like, oh, wow, I just, I, wow, this is amazing. So education, counseling is important. Three, change the channel. I know I'm going to get some heat for this, and that's okay because that's my position, and I'll take it willingly. But I have a lot of people that I love that go to AA and NA, and they say to me, they're always talking about the same thing. I can't get away from it. Every time I go, it's about drugs and alcohol. Well, guess what? According to the neuroplasticity model, what you're doing is you're reinforcing that bad habit. The poor person can never get free when every day it's the same subject. You know what I'm saying? It, it's counterproductive. Your brain is supposed to work for you. Here, let me give you an example. And a role play again. So here I am. I'm Joe, average Joe. And my friends, my friends call me up and say, hey, we want to go out on Friday night. I know what that means. Friday comes, and they're like, come on, just you know, drive over here, and we'll get together, and, and I know what that means. But you know, I, there's another part of me that says, wow, that's, I know what's going to happen, and I know the pain, and I don't know if I want to go through that. So what you do is, and you've seen people do this in the jig. They can't figure out what they're doing. They go for the car keys. They go to pick up the phone and call their accountability brother. They go to pick up the car keys. They go to pick up, and the brain is saying to you, hey, make a decision. I can drive a car, and I could also call on the phone. I could do two things at once. But it's an act of your will that, that you choose, the Bible tells us. You, you're going to walk in the flesh, or you're going to walk in the spirit. Because your brain will do either one. It doesn't care. It doesn't matter. It's values neutral. So change the channel. Got to get away from it. Four, Christ, Christ, Christ. Not a higher power. <laughs> Christ is the one that created you, that loves you, that died for your sins. He's the one that can help you out of this mess. God is not going to respond to some nebulous, politically correct title so that we can make the courts happy. And who cares what the courts think? If, you're, if you, what you're doing is working, then people will come and they'll bring their loved ones there. Forget about the courts. So what? The courts are against anything that has to do with Jesus. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's not a little g. It's not a nebulous God. It's Christ. It's, he's not a higher power. Okay? You want to get addicted to something? I'm addicted to studying. Because if I don't study, I come up here and I'm going to say, duh, I'm going to have nothing to say. So I'm, this is my habit. I get in, I get in front of the computer, I open up my Bible, I open up Word. Yeah, I still use Word. And flip pages, it's my habit. And a lot of the old habits, sometimes I'll hear a song and I'll remember 
something that happened in my former life, and it's just a memory, but it, it has no power over me. Five, teach the what's new brain something new. Make new pathways. Learn to ski. Learn a language. Learn whatever. Uh, you know, <laughs> a few years ago, I used to train a lot of different things. And remember when Rocky Balboa came out? You're going to laugh at me. He, he made the speed bag famous. And I could never master that thing. I would hit it and would go, poof, it hit, you know. And I was like, I, I could train, I could learn boxing and a bunch of, and I just could not do it. So a few years ago, I'm like, I'm going to master this stupid speed bag. It was such a dumb thing. And just, I would stand in front of it. And it got faster and faster. Now I, I'm really good on the speed bag. So what does it do for anything? Probably nothing. I just made some more roots, you know, digging the soil. But I had a young man who had an upper body physical deformity, and I trained him on the speed bag. And it actually helped his muscles and his brain to readjust his upper body to overcompensate for the defect that he had from birth. And it was so cool because I'm hitting the bag, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm hitting it, right? And I'm like, watch this. And I'm hitting it, hitting it, I'm looking at it. And slowly, I turn my gaze, and I looked at him. And I'm still hitting the bag, and he goes, whoa. <laughs> well, what happened was, the brain compensated for the lack of me seeing the bag moving. And it picked up the tempo. tempo. And if you've ever done it, it's a, it's a distinct tempo. Tempo, it's... So my brain picked it up, so I didn't need my eyes anymore, and I was looking at him, and I was still hitting it. And I said to him, bro, it's a brain thing. Everything we do is a brain thing. So the fifth point is put so many things into that brain through neuroplasticity that the other stuff just becomes old and in a file somewhere with no power to it. Well, what does the Bible say about the hope to overcome habits and addictions? Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, he says, Put off concerning your former conduct the old man, the old you, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created in righteousness and true holiness. God doesn't play games with us. If the Holy Spirit says to do something, and you look at it and go, I can't do that. No, 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 no. If God says to do it, he's given you the hardware, he's given you the ability, he's given you the spirit to do it. So think about this. That's not me. Yes, it is. Let me read a few more. Galatians 5.16, he says, walk. It's a command. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Change the channel. Focus on this. 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Sometimes through bad education, and, you know, I've seen this even with, with domestic violence um, victims. When, you know, and it happens both ways, but the wife will come in and she thinks that she's just not worth anything. She's been with this guy for so long, he's brainwashed her to think that she's nothing. And she stays and she keeps taking the abuse. And it's really sad. I see the same thing with those trapped in addictions. They're hearing things and they're believing it and it's taking the victory out of them. It reminds me of the, the true story, and they do this with elephants. The baby elephant that has a rope tied around its neck like a leash and tied to a post in a third world country where they can't, can't afford harnesses and things like that. And the little baby elephant tries to go further than 10 feet and the little baby elephant can't. 
Well, the little baby elephant eats and grows and gets bigger and more powerful, and its owner still used that same little thin rope to put around its neck and tie it to the tree. And that big, powerful, massive behemoth of, a, of an animal does not try to pull the rope and snap it because he doesn't think he can. And I think there's too many people. Listen, I'm not a motivational teacher. I'm a pastor. But there is something to be said to motivate you and to help you. And I really, really pray that maybe one person in here has looked at this today and said, you know what, I think I want to change the channel. I think I want to go in another direction. I think I want to change my friends. You know what I'm saying? I think I want to change my partner. I think I want to just be with me and God for some time. And if I could do that, and I see, people do come back, and it's, it's the most exciting thing. I hear a lot of prayer requests. I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that. A lot of times I find out through somebody else that your prayer was answered and you forget to tell me. You know, I hear a lot of the bad. I'd like to hear the good as well. You know, I really do appreciate that, but they do trickle in. So let me just say this. Number one, your brain can be changed, and you can be a huge part of changing your brain. And number two, better than that, God can make you a new creature in Christ, like the Bible says. And let me tell you something. If you call yourself a Christian, you either believe everything he said in this book or you don't. If he said he can change you, if he said you can cast that off, okay, then you've got to believe him. We can't just believe God for some things and not others. Well, I believe that God can, you know, the worship team, they're really spot on. I know he does miracles for them, but he's not going to do anything for me. It's a poor attitude. The victory is there. We just have to lay hold of it. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.